This is Pivotal Tracks, a show about musicians and the song that kickstarted their love of music. My name is Adam Bruce, and today we're going to be talking about The Boxer by Simon and Garfunkel. I am just a poor boy, though my story is seldom told. I uh, so I didn't grow up in a particularly musical household, even though everybody that, you know, my, both my parents and my sister had musical talents. It wasn't really music wasn't a part of our everyday experience, I'd say. Um, so a lot of that, I was kind of left to my own devices to uh, to get my own musical education. And so a lot of that came from two different places. Uh, there was church music, so traditional hymns primarily. Um, we went to a, a Lutheran church, so it was very much like kind of 1800s to early 1900s hymns, which are fantastic. Um, I, I think I still derive a lot of inspiration musically from kind of the structure and the melodies of, of hymns. But uh, so on one hand, you had hymns from the church. And then on the other hand, you had uh, Oldies 93.3, which I listened to almost exclusively. Uh, so that, that between church hymns and sort of fifties and sixties pop music, uh, that was the basis of my musical education growing up. Um, every year we went on a vacation during the summer, usually about a a week or two and it'd always be a road trip and it would go on even years. We'd go to Rocky mountain national park and like get a cabin and just hike a lot. Um, and then on the odd number of years, we'd go to, Medicine Bow, which is in southeastern Wyoming. Um, and we had like a handful of cassettes that we would always just play in the car. And there's like John Denver. Um, and they were all like greatest hits things too. So it was like John Denver, greatest hits, James Taylor, greatest hits. We had like a gospel tape called the ambassadors, which I think was a local gospel group. Um, and then we had Paul Simon's rhythm of the saints so that was sort of my first knowledge of Paul Simon outside of, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and, and the radio songs that you'd hear. When I was in fourth grade, third grade or fourth grade, maybe it's fourth grade, I got my first CD player. And it was one of those like boombox style CD players with the two tape decks and the CD thing on top and the two speakers on the side that you could detach if you wanted to. But, um, you know, I had the handle on the top and it took all those like D batteries. If you wanted to put 10 D batteries in it and take it somewhere, which I never did. One of the first CDs I received was Simon and Garfunkel's greatest hits, uh, from my parents, because I think my mom probably grew up listening to Simon and Garfunkel and, and thought I'd like it too. And so a lot of my own, um, I think that that album inspired a lot of, uh, my own songwriting and musical taste too. With Simon and Garfunkel specifically, uh, you know, it's kind of a perfect combination of melody and lyrics because you have not only the lyrics of Paul Simon, which are always incredible, but you have the melodies he creates and the harmonies that uh, Art Garfunkel creates too. And I think those impacted me quite a lot in my youth. I think the boxers maybe track three on the greatest hits CD and that one I was especially drawn to. And I think that one inspired me as a songwriter more than any other, any other song. 
there is a narrative story with kind of a twist at the end. Uh, it's all first person narrative. It's, it's this weird combination of like a folk song and a singer songwriter song with like some serious country undertones too, with just kind of this, this harmony that overlays the entire thing. And as the song continues and, uh, you know, throughout the, what, like three or four songs or three or four minutes of the song, uh, it just keeps building and building, uh, layer by layer. Um, so it's, it's just like a masterclass in lyrics and in melody and in production. Uh, it's, to me, I think one of the perfect songs that anyone's written. There was a lot of catching up after I started, you know, really collecting albums. And it was at a time in my life, you know, you're looking at like fifth grade where suddenly your musical tastes are in like hyperdrive and you're really evolving. And um, for me, that meant going outside of sort of my parents' music and sort of searching out other styles and other artists. Uh, so really after that initial like, you know, Simon and Garfunkel album, which was always in rotation for me and was a touchstone, you know, I didn't go and get the CDs, you know, there, at the time I wasn't buying records, you know, I was still buying CDs. Um, I didn't go out and buy all the Simon and Garfunkel CDs. I don't think I came back to that until years later when I got back into uh, like, you know, Graceland and uh, other Paul Simon albums specifically. And then that sort of slid me back to more Simon and Garfunkel after the fact. I probably started writing music. Well, the, you know, you grow up writing kind of silly songs that don't make any sense, right? But the first real song that I remember sitting down and purposefully writing, um, which was a terrible like parody song, because I was also really into Weird Al at the time, um, was probably fifth grade, which would have been about when I started taking guitar lessons, I think. I wouldn't say Paul Simon at that time had a direct influence on my songwriting, but as I started to learn more about the craft and I started to... Uh, you know, practice more and write more uh, and dig into what makes a good song. Uh, Paul Simon and Simon and Garfunkel specifically kept coming back to me as, you know, this is how you do it. This is how you write a song that that sticks with people and um, that that people want to sing and people want to keep hearing. It's definitely a, a singable song, which, you know, you just sing that first line and it's just like it's a boulder that keeps rolling downhill, you know? And it, it certainly helped that there were all chords that I could play. <laughs> so it made it easy to sit it, sit by myself and play the song. I think it was the first Simon and Garfunkel song that I learned how to play. But it's also, it's a story. So it's something that, um, as a listener, story songs for me anyway, stuck with me more because it's creating a narrative. The Boxer is like a seemingly simple song in that it's just a, you know, a little plunky alternating bass story about a guy who's, um, you know, down and out in the world. But at the end with the production and the lyrics, it sort of all spins and turns on its head. Um, and then they add sort of this other element at the end, which takes this normally, this seemingly simple song and makes it something 
bigger and more intricate. I think I'd read somewhere that this was the most uh, production heavy song that they had done up to that point. Um, and if you look at it, it's, it's just it starts off just an acoustic, you know, I think there's two acoustic guitarists that are playing simultaneously and, you know, little by little, they add another piece and another piece and another piece. And that is something that to this day, I still think of when I'm arranging a song is I'm all about sort of layers and creating space in songs and building up to things. So as I'm writing my own songs, I'm thinking about, you know, what can we tuck in and pull out and sort of how can we create these layers and waves of intersecting parts of the music to, to make a more compelling sound in the boxer. There's, I think the only percussion is that like super reverbed snare hiss in the chorus. What sounds like percussion is I think the bass at the beginning doing some rhythmic uh, lines, but then during the chorus, they have this massive snare hit, you know, every measure. And I think that's really, that's really it from a percussion standpoint. But then they build all these different strings and all these different uh, instruments on top of it that you don't miss the drums in this song, which the fact that you can have a complete song that has rhythm and it has everything that you think a, a song should have without having a full kit on it is something that I took into uh, recording, especially my first EP that I did uh, as Adam Bruce, but even other, other band projects. Asking only workman's wages, I come looking for a job, but I get no offers. Just to come on from the wars on 7th Avenue. The narrative of, this, of the song really stuck with me because it was just this story of a guy who's down and out, he's far away from home, he's trying to make it in the world and nothing's going his way, and he's just trying to seek connection and, you know, success. Uh, I think I read that the song was actually about like Paul Simon getting criticized or there was something that um, he, you know, wasn't feeling like he was achieving the connection or the um, respect that he was hoping for. So this was kind of a song about, man, maybe I should just go away and, you know, and I think that's a common theme for anybody, especially artists or musicians, of like, does anybody really care about what I'm doing? I care I care about what I'm doing, but does the person on the street, like, if I stopped writing songs tomorrow, you know, would anybody care? And I think that's something that everyone who is creative and who, um, you know, tries to put art out into the world, it's a thought that everybody has. The last verse is not a first-person narrative. Um, to me, is that story of sort of his rejection almost, but kind of like he pulled himself out of his body and is looking down and he sees this guy who's just like, you know, fighting for his life or his artistic life. Um, you know, in the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade. And he carries a reminder of every glove that laid him down. So just reminding, you know, these are all the punches that you took. Um, and basically saying, you know, I'm leaving, but the fighter still remains saying, you know, I'm giving this all up, but I'm, you know, I'm still here, you know? And I think that, so even though it's a first person story with that third person at the end, it's all about the same person. And it's, it's a different spin on telling a story. 
the thing that always sticks with me about Simon and Garfunkel is the connection between songwriting and melody and harmony. And as an older listener and going back to it now, the harmony, I think more than anything um, stands out because for me, having multiple voices that can blend so well and having harmony parts that are creative and that are able to lift a song into another space is rare. I mean, there, there aren't a lot of great vocal groups that consistently create sort of excellent uh, vocal parts. And when it comes around, it's special. And there are a handful of people doing it now that are really, that are really great, but it's, it's certainly not common. Um, and so that's one thing, even, you know, with my, my own musical projects, um, I always try to include as much harmony as possible, multiple voices doing multiple parts. And I think that also comes from um, my education in church music and hymns, because we were always singing four part harmony in church. Uh, so I grew up, you know, primarily people sing the melody because if you're not a musician, that's the easiest thing to pick out and follow along. Um, but my mom would always sing uh, the alto parts. And then as I grew up and started learning how to read music, uh, I would ring, I would sing the tenor and the bass parts. Um, so just hearing it every Sunday, you know, four part harmony or three part harmony. Um, I think that to me is, uh, a core piece of what makes great music. That's one of the things I like the most about, about singing these days is, is the ability to sing with people and with April, uh, who harmonize so well and who can take a song that I, that I write and make it bigger than what it is, you know, on paper or just with one voice and a guitar. Uh, and that's something that sticks with people too. Um, great harmonies and great sort of vocal melodies and voices working together is something that there's sort of this reaction at your core. You know, there's something about it that's just like elemental. The the fact that I incorporate harmonies in my music and multiple vocal parts um, just comes from all of my history. And that's certainly hymns. Um, that's certainly Simon and Garfunkel. Um, that's certainly the Everly Brothers, um, which was another early group that I sort of gravitated towards for the exact same reasons. Um, and it's something that I think is really important in the music that I make, because to me, that's how I, that's how I interpret music. That's how, that's the kind of music that I identify with. I've been making music since I was 15 years old in groups and bands. And I've been writing music since, you know, I was younger than that. And I'd say my songwriting has gotten better, but I don't think it's changed fundamentally. I think a lot of the music that I write is rooted in the two places where I first found my musical inspiration, which was um, hymns and 
60s pop music and like everything I've done since then has been taking those two ideas and sort of smushing them together and creating something and it may sound different you know uh, my earlier days were kind of taking those two ideas and like putting a distortion pedal and speeding it up and turning it you know that's essentially what pop punk is if you took 60s pop and rock and roll and like put a distortion pedal on it and you know dyed you you know bleached your hair Um, and it's what you know, folk music and country music is, you know, they, they have roots in, in, uh, churches and, and in hymns. Um, so the interpretation of those songs has changed over the years, but fundamentally, I think I've been writing the same, um, the same style since I started writing music. Cause to me, that's what music is, right? That's what, that's what I learned as this is, this is a song structure and this is, you know, Melody is important and lyrics are important and putting those things together uh, to me is what makes a song. You know, I wouldn't call myself a particularly religious guy, but something about especially the hymns that I grew up singing um, is kind of a master class in songwriting uh, because lyrically they were very direct. There's a lot of efficiency in the lyrics. They said exactly what they wanted to say. Then they got out of their own way. The melody obviously is really tight because it's, you know, meant to be sung by a group. So it generally has a compelling melody. And that's just kind of common across a lot of the hymns that I grew up with. It's either just like verse after verse or a verse, chorus, verse, chorus. So you kind of learn different song structures that way too. Every Sunday, looking at the lyrics of hymns and looking at the structure of hymns, that sort of taught me the basics of songwriting. And then with like the 60s pop music, uh, 50s pop music, that then teaches you that you can take it outside of the confines of, um, you know, piano and sort of the, the sacred side of things and, you know, write it about whatever real world things you want to write about and um, really tighten up that melody and say it all in like, you know, two and a half, three minutes. I'm always trying to determine the, (laughs) I don't want to say the easiest way to say something, but I'm always trying to determine sort of the most efficient way to say something. How can you say something with as few words as possible and make the biggest impact? Right. And um, not just lyrically, but uh, you know, with the boxer, as much stuff as you pile onto it and you have sort of some counter melodies or some instruments that are doing, um, their own melodic stuff on top of, uh, the lie, the lies at the end, nothing is spinning the song off into a, into an alternate dimension, right? It's still at its core, just something you could sit down on a guitar and pluck away at. And that's, that's how I write my songs. And no matter how much I produce the songs up at their core, it's just a guy with an acoustic guitar. Adam performs under Adam Bruce, as well as in the bands The New Bodies and The New Mexicos. You can find more info about Adam's music at adambrucemusic.com. Our intro and outro music is from the song Familiars by the band Stubborn Tiny Lights vs. Clustering Darkness Forever, okay? You can find all past episodes of Pivotal Tracks at anchor.fm forward slash pivotal tracks. There you will also find links to subscribe on your favorite podcatcher app so you can make sure that you'll get the next episode where I'll be talking to. My name is Katie N and I play music under the name Katie Sin and I play with a band called Pink Neighbor. 
Pivotal Tracks is produced by me, Ben Cron. Thank you for listening. Thank you.